the 200 level episode 214 terp derp derp of course being a word that south park coined for anything remotely stupid or moronic and not to be crude but that's exactly what friday night's game was it was stupid it was moronic it was infuriating and it was illinois football in a nutshell and i know that's a bit dramatic right but i think as illini fans there was this fatigue with everything going wrong after seemingly everything is going right. And for three and a half, actually more than three and a half quarters, Illinois played a decent enough game to start 2-0 and in the Big Ten. And to be quite honest with you, as I was watching it, I was enjoying it. I was having fun and thinking just the prospect of starting 2-0 and in the Big Ten would have erased a lot of what had happened the two previous weeks. And it also would have given us fodder for a far different podcast today where I would be extolling the virtues of the Brett Bielema experience and how this sort of consistent competence was on display on a night when Maryland, yeah, they may have beat themselves, but that's college football. A lot of teams beat themselves. And the likes of a Northwestern or an Iowa to a greater extent, the reason they win so many games is they don't beat themselves. Yes, I understand Northwestern's bad so far. Uh, I've seen that story before, and then by the end of the year, they're plenty good to beat Illinois. But yeah, just don't get in your own way and let the other team get in their own way and escape with a win. That almost happened on Friday, and frankly, it should have happened. We know from the Mike Loxley and Ron Zook experience back in 2006 and seven and eight. I guess it was actually four years, 05 to 08, We know from that experience that they could be maddeningly inconsistent. And they were. If you're a Maryland fan on Friday night, you were probably pulling your hair out and thinking, good God, how are we not winning this game by three scores? But the reason that they weren't is because Maryland is not a top 10 team, and they might not even be a top 25 caliber team. They have some explosive playmakers, no doubt. But they are a middle-of-the-rung Big Ten team. And if you're hoping to go, you know, five or six wins, like I think Illinois was hoping to before the season started, that's a game that is a swing game. You win that, and you're that much more likely to find yourself in a lower-level bowl game. Well, that's off the table, and unfortunately what's on the table is a potential 1-11 season, which may sound, again, dramatic. Illinois just played a fairly decent game in the defense, improved by leaps and bounds. There's no doubt. And there were some other positives, like seeing the coaching staff say, sorry, Tony Adams, you weren't going to play. Isaiah Gay, you weren't going to play, or at least start. And making some statements that what they saw the previous weeks was not acceptable. I'm all for that. And there were some positives to take away. But it's the kind of loss, the manner in which you lost, a choke job, if we're being honest, that has me worried for a rest-of-the-season slide that you just can't quite get out of. A Purdue game that would otherwise be winnable, especially if you would have beaten Maryland, all of a sudden feels like, oh, boy, the bottom's going to fall out. And I've seen this story before. You know, I can go back to pretty decent Illinois teams, go back to 2000. Not to compare the Maryland game on Friday night to the Illinois-Michigan game in 2000, but... Similarly, that game felt like it got away from you late and it was devastating for that team. I think the game on Friday night for this team was similarly devastating. To go from the highest of highs, and if you looked at that sideline after they went up 17 to 10, how pumped they were after Seth Coleman's turnover, right? Right before Brandon Peters threw an inexplicably inexplicably bad, excuse me, interception. Uh, They were pumped. 
that sideline believed they were going to win only to have their hearts ripped out from them like in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, whatever that bad guy's name was, just right straight from their chest. Now, they are culpable, right? They are accountable for what happened. The players are. The coaches, though, are extremely accountable. And this is where it feels different from UTSA or Virginia, where we might have watched that and thought, well, what really could the coaching staff have done differently to get a different result? And it was maybe a little bit fuzzier for those two games. But unfortunately, on Friday night, there were glaring weaknesses schematically, coaching-wise, that makes you think, oh, dear God, don't let this be another bad hire. Too early for me to say that. But there are some yellow flags with some of Bielema's decision-making, including one of his coordinators that just leaves you wanting a heck of a lot more. So there's a lot to unpack from a game that by itself was relatively entertaining. It was your typical late Friday night game, which is to say a mess, but kind of a beautiful mess. And it would have been that much more beautiful had Illinois won. But unfortunately, as I sit here 48 hours later, or a little bit more than 48 hours later, we are looking at yet another in a long line of disappointments. And boy, is it getting old. Now, before I get too far into this seemingly depressing podcast, though we'll have some fun today, don't worry. The 200 Level is brought to you by DP Doe, celebrating their 15th anniversary. Go online to dpdoe.com. They deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. Get a custom zone with any topping you want. Get one of their favorites like the Maui Wowie or the Buffer Zone. Dipping sauce on the side, absolutely delicious. The marinara dipping sauce and plenty more online at dpdoe.com. And best of all, they deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. If you want a business lunch or maybe a late night snack delivered right to your doorstep, dpdoe.com. Fourth and Kirby, online at fourthandkirby.com. Use coupon code 200 level for 10% off your order at fourthandkirby.com. Now, I know the team ain't great, but you still need swag for the tailgate lots. I'm going to tailgate every other game. I probably won't be going into the stadium, but I'm at least going to look good in the tailgate lots with my big guy shirt and also the 80s Alana helmet shirt, among many other choices. So go to fourthandkirby.com, vintage-inspired Alana apparel at fourthandkirby.com. State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. Life, auto, home, business renters. We just got our bill for six more months of auto insurance, and we both looked at each other like, that's, that's low. We, we can handle this. And not only is it great low State Farm prices, but the service, of course, is excellent. Brian's a great guy. His staff, super helpful. Go on to brianismyguy.com and make Brian Hansen your guy and your State Farm agent. That's brianismyguy.com. And finally, Rector Construction online at rectorconstruction.com for all your home exterior needs, rectorconstruction.com. Get a free estimate, great craftsmanship. These guys are known for that, but also superior customer service. You may even talk to Isaac Ambrose when you call in. And these guys have also been great members of the community since they got started, very giving in the Champaign-Urbana community. So great work from great dudes. That is something that, you know, if you're a homeowner, you want to entrust the people doing jobs like this. So go to rectorconstruction.com. Uh, let's see, Alana Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network partners with the 200 level. And a reminder that if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, why not leave us a rating and review at Apple Podcasts? It could be a one-star review. That's fine. I don't really care. You can be brutally honest and say that you hate my guts. But what it does is it helps us get discovered by other Illini fans when they type Illini into Apple Podcasts. So Apple Podcast ratings and reviews. Uh, right now, Rosie is sitting on my lap in the basement studio. We got to keep her away from the oven upstairs because she goes a little bit crazy when Kara's making dinner. 
So Rosie is accompanying me on this podcast, and, and I think just the presence of her will keep me from getting too upset or angry, but boy, that game was upsetting. Oddly enough, not so much in the moment, and I think a big reason why is that Friday night, my band played at Grange Grove, and uh, excuse me with the allergies here, met a few of the listeners afterwards, so great meeting some of you. Uh, appreciate you coming out and checking out a, a local rock band before the Illinois-Maryland game. Had a blast. And there was a moment, you know, right about 7.30 towards the end of the set, we were the southwest corner looking at the stadium. Now, that's a hell of a backdrop. And at about 7.30, the you know sun was basically down. And all the columns were lit up orange. And it was a cool scene. I mean, that was a, an image that I'll keep in my mind. You know, being on a stage, playing rock music with my band that I've had for, you know, 10 years. And there's the stadium right there. It's, it's a beautiful stadium. You know, so I, good vibes all around. We pack up, and I decide I'm going to watch the game at home instead of go in because we had two more shows the following night in Chicago. My mind was more on the concerts than the football game, and yet the football game was engrossing enough where I had a good time watching it. Me and uh, our bass player, Phil, were sitting at my house on the couch with Rosie and just enjoying a beverage and watching the game. And, you know, he's a casual football fan, so he's asking this or that about the game. And, as I'm talking through it, I'm kind of appreciating what I see from this Illinois team. Bad offense, I think we would acknowledge that, but it seemed like, okay, well, the blueprint or the template that I really harped on about Brett Bielema would be they can run the ball, and they did. Josh McCray was absolutely fantastic, um, though, of course, the injury is a concern, and then Chase Brown was Chase Brown. So, yeah, we ran the ball fairly effectively when you needed to, and you got some takeaways the defense really made massive improvements over the last two weeks, and it felt so much more like that Nebraska game. You were snatching victory from the jaws of defeat, or more to the point, you were letting the other team get in their own way, and Maryland got in their own way. Man, that was a Mike Loxley team if I've ever seen one, and he's got a good thing going there. He does. He's got uh, an identity, but part of that identity with Loxley is that you can never count on it to be that consistent. You know, and I might be painting with a broad brush, but that's part of what I will remember from the Mike Loxley and, of course, the Ron Zook era. Seeing them on the sideline was interesting. You know, I remember in 2005 when I was at 107.1, I had to go get audio after football practice one day, and I got some stuff from Mike Loxley. Seemed like a cool guy. I don't know if anyone had necessarily bad relationships with him when he was here, but I think he sort of became known for having quite the ego. And I guess, you know, listen, if you're in that profession, you kind of have to. And the guy was good at his job. I mean, there were things that offense back in the day that I loved and the read option with uh, juice at the helm was effective 75% of the time, right? But the other 25%, it could be brutal. He leaves to go to New Mexico, fails miserably out there. Ron Zook gets Paul Schultz, that fails miserably and then never quite recovers. So seeing those guys on the sidelines, I know a lot of the talk on Friday leading up to the game and Champagne Showers, their account kind of contributed to this discourse, was a remembrance of the Zook era and the fact that Zook is probably the best coach you've had in the last 25 years. I would agree with that. That is quite the indictment on this football program because let's not kid ourselves, just because the subsequent hires have been terrible with Tim Beckman and Lovey Smith and hopefully not Brett Bielma, just because the subsequent hires have been terrible does not mean that Ron Zook was a good coach. He's just the skinniest kid at fat camp, which is not that much to write home about. 
Anywho, that's at play here, and it actually gives me this eerie sense of calm knowing that they are the guys on the other sideline. Their teams found ways to lose games quite creatively when Ron Zook was here. I know he's not the head coach now, but it just feels like something just kind of, you know, emanates from him, which leads to some inexplicably boneheaded plays. That's like the fourth time I've said inexplicably. I need to stop doing that. 17-10, feeling good. Five minutes to go in the game, 17-10. Still there, you got the ball. You got a fourth and one. Let's start with a fourth and one. Oddly enough, at the time, it did not bother me. And I think the reason was, the two previous plays, you tried running it and didn't really have any success. You did have McCray and you didn't have Chase Brown available. The offensive line, even though they had a few good moments in the run game on Friday, for the, for the most part, the offensive line has been absolutely dreadful. I did not count on them to get that yard. And then you give Maryland the short field and think, okay, well, here we go. Instead, you punt. Okay, fine. It did not bother me that much at the time, though I completely understand why it bothered people as much as it did. Now, the Brett Bielema way of playing football, I think, oddly enough, if he had the horses, he would have made a far different decision. I think there's this notion that Brett Bielema would naturally be conservative all the time, but I think if he had the guys that he trusted enough in there, he would, in fact, go for it, but he doesn't. So instead, we get this uber-conservative call on a fourth and one to punt it. Now, it did not take Maryland long to go back down there and get the game-tying score. In a way, though, it happened so quickly with two and a half minutes to go for you to go down and get a field goal that I thought, listen, that's fine. It wasn't going to come easy. For some reason, at this point, I'm still not perturbed. The fourth and one in hindsight, yes, you go for it. You do. Let's not overcomplicate it. Where you were at as a program, I think you'd need to take some calculated risk, and that was, at worst, a coin flip to end the game right then and there and take it out of the hands of the young Tua, you know, and just not even give Maryland the chance. You could have just milked that thing until the very end. I think you would have found some way to do it. But you didn't, and he is rightfully being criticized for it. I think that is totally justified, even though at the time it did not bother me as much. But what really bothered me, what really, really bothered me was the next drive. And this leads into a larger discussion about Brandon Peters, which I'm going to get into. You take two sacks in a row, and now you're, what, third and 30? Third and 27? Something ridiculous. And then he throws it to the center. Now, if this were, let's say, freshman Isaiah Williams, known for a runner not being much of a passer, and he makes a boneheaded move like that, you kind of chalk it up to, well, that's just youth and inexperience. But it's not that. It's a 23-year-old super senior that makes an absolutely boneheaded play. Now, in Brandon Peters' defense, this offensive line stinks. Not many quarterbacks would thrive given the circumstances. But he was bad, objectively so, on Friday. And that final drive was the cherry on top of the turd Sunday. You have to punt with Blake Hayes in the Maryland end zone. Punted all the way from back there, and of course, Maryland gets good field position, and they easily go down for the chip shot field goal, and they win the game. But that is only set up because you, even after getting a first down, right? Keep that in mind. Illinois got one first down, and then everything went to crap. It was the worst single series of downs I've seen 
in my lifetime as an Illinois fan, and that is saying something. Not to be a prisoner of the moment, but it does feel like I, I could not draw up a worse series of downs. And your quarterback is Brandon Peters. Now, granted, the first sack, an offensive lineman runs into him. That's embarrassing. The second sack, you cannot take. You can't. There has to be some sort of route, some guy you can throw to within five yards just at his feet, just get it, get it out of there, and you didn't. And now, all of a sudden, you're in an impossible situation, and then you throw it to an offensive lineman. I was pissed. Brandon Peters should not be playing quarterback for this team anymore. Let's get into this because I understand when treading these waters, we're talking again about a collegiate athlete that is not getting paid for his services unless there's some NIL money, but I don't know if the endorsements are really going to be ringing in for Brandon at this point. You know, it's very frustrating as an Illini fan to have to go all the way back to Nathan Shieldhouse to point to any consistency at the quarterback position. I mean, Wes Lunt, for example, was a four or five star kid. He comes in here. The guy is effectively immobile and ineffective at quarterback for you. So then Brandon Peters gives us a little bit of excitement because this is a guy that was at Michigan, was a heralded recruit, clearly looks the part, right? And he does have a strong arm and all that. So there are these factors, like if you were in Madden and assigning these certain attributes, you would give him some decent scores, especially in regards to arm strength. And that always is tantalizing for offensive coordinators. I get why this guy has had so many opportunities to be a starting quarterback at the collegiate level. But he has proven time and time again that he's simply not good at it. And this is where maybe are, are we blinded by the fact that, well, he was a Michigan recruit, so clearly this guy has some pedigree. What has he done here to warrant keeping this job, even over an Arter Sitkowski? Who I, listen, I understand. Sitkowski isn't good. I'm not going to make the claim that he is. But can we sit here today after all the tape that's out on both of these guys in an Illinois uniform? And okay, if you want to go back to the Rutgers here for Sitkowski, you can totally do that, but also consider the team that he was on. But in an Illinois uniform, can we really look at the track record of these guys, even though it's much longer for Brandon Peters, and say certifiably that he is much better than Sitkowski? I think the answer at this point is no. Because for all the physical talents that he has, he is a terrible decision maker, he has no presence in the pocket, no awareness, and is maddeningly inconsistent. The interception that he threw after Seth Coleman stripped it and gave you the ball with a chance to really take control of that game was one of the worst picks I've seen. And God knows I've seen plenty of them. You know, Chase Crouch was our quarterback, for God's sakes, at one point. That was unforgivable. How you let that ball sail over a six foot three, six foot four tight end, however big Luke Ford is, that high and right into the arms of a Maryland defender. Again, I was pissed. This cannot happen. Even if you were out the last two weeks because of injury, then this goes to the coaching staff. Was he fully healthy? Well, if not, he shouldn't have been playing. If he was fully healthy, then that's all the reason to not put him out there again against Purdue. And today we find out from Tony Peterson that guess what? Brandon Peters is our starting quarterback. Not the words I think most Illini fans wanted to hear. Again, not so much because we're clamoring for Sitkowski, but because we've seen enough of Brandon Peters to know this ain't it. He doesn't have whatever it is. 
And Sitkowski, for all his flaws, has at least a bit of an it factor. And if I were to sit here and guess, and I know it's purely speculative, probably has a bit more of the respect of his teammates. There was a time at the end of the first half where I saw Brandon Peters really ticked off. And I don't blame him. He was getting mauled in parts of that game. And he was mad at his offensive line. But the problem is we're talking about someone that doesn't have a strong enough track record to earn the respect of the guys on that offensive line. Brandon Peters was, oh God, I mean, I'll pull up the stat sheet. Not that you really need to see the numbers to feel you know, any uh, worse about what we saw on Friday night, but this is someone that it, it goes beyond, oh, well, um, he's just not great all the time. I think that was what we thought, that he's inconsistent. Brandon Peters was 10 for 26, 185, and 53 yards for loss. Took six sacks. I think three or four of them we have to pin on the offensive line because, again, they were bad. But even with that context, it doesn't excuse how bad he was that game. And that's even with the benefit of an effective rushing attack from McCray and Brown specifically. I don't get it. I do not get it. Um, I don't understand why he's the starting quarterback. At this point, you know, Purdue is a game that you can win. Sikowski won you a game against Nebraska. I don't think you win the Nebraska game if Brandon Peters is in there. We saw what he was doing early against Nebraska. It's more of the same. It is an absolute drag watching this offense when he's running it. And not saying it's all sunshine and daisies when it's Sikowski, but at the very least, there is that element that you can get behind the guy. Now, if this were to be a conversation taken out of context, Actually, even taken fully in context, this sounds like piling on. I don't necessarily want to do that. I understand why it would be interpreted like I'm piling on a college quarterback. <laughs> As a 34-year-old, that may not reflect well on me. But this is, to be quite honest, more of a question for the coaches. Why? Why bother? You know, it's, a, it's an odd bit of loyalty being shown to someone that they didn't even recruit. Brandon didn't have to come back, and credit to him for doing that. That shows that there is some desire in there somewhere to be the lead guy for this team. But as I kind of posited on an earlier podcast, I think three or four weeks ago, when he did not get enough votes to even be elected captain, I mean, he's the super senior quarterback that elected to come back for a third year. He took you to a bowl game two years ago, and we all, of course, remember the dive for the not-quite-first-down in the Red Box Bowl that... Illinois football tried to make the marketable you know, video clip for the 2020 season. I mean, yeah, I was pumped up when I saw that. It was a great, gutsy play from Brandon. But after all that, his teammates didn't even think enough of him to make him a captain. What does that tell you? You got to have that from the quarterback position, even if the guy isn't as physically talented, which I'm sure this Sitkowski is not as physically talented as Peters. It seems like Every other intangible quality is in his favor over Brandon Peters. So I got to be honest, you know, the idea of watching more Brandon Peters is just a drag. It's just a drag. We're going to see it on Saturday against Purdue. Maybe the leash is short. And I think there was a time during Friday's game where I felt like, am I taking crazy pills here and thinking that they should probably put Sikowski in? And, you know, Jeremy being, Jeremy Warner being more of the journalistic perspective, 
I know, of course, he wants to cover winning Illinois teams, but he's not actively rooting for them. When I heard his podcast with Joey and he said, you know, I was kind of surprised that they didn't pull Brandon. I thought, okay, I'm not taking crazy pills, that there are objective people out there that are seeing the same thing that I am. And I'm wearing the orange colored glasses, of course, but this one seems to be kind of black and white to me. Why do it? Um, yeah, I, that, that was a longer diatribe than I probably anticipated for Brandon. Now, but this goes to Tony Peterson. You know, If I'm really thinking where my frustration lies squarely, it is with Tony Peterson because through four weeks, I don't know what the hell we're doing on offense. I, I don't know what they're doing. You know, I understand that there is a talent issue that the wide receiver position, they're still trying to figure things out, um, that your best wide receivers production-wise have been your former quarterbacks, and that means that you probably did not inherit the best wide receiver room, nor did you inherit the best quarterback room, nor did you inherit the best offensive line room, clearly, because these guys can't block much of anything right now. But why is it that the offensive line has regressed so much? Why are they unable to block nearly as effectively in this scheme? And is there anything that he can do schematically to maximize the guys that are on that line, even with the injuries. This is college football. Every, team's got, every team has injuries and they're too deep. So you got to make the best of what you got. And we saw the worst offensive line performance of the year so far, and that's stiff competition. They've been bad all year, except for a drive here and a drive there. Why that inconsistency? I don't know. But that's why he's getting paid the big bucks. For someone that I looked at as more of a journeyman coordinator, I didn't expect greatness. I just hoped for competence. You are not getting that from your offense, and you sure as hell are not getting consistency. For all the old guys that are on this offense, I would have expected more. And yes, you could say, and trust me, I, I agree with you, that experience does not equal talent. I think we all know that by now with this Illinois team. But there's still enough there to be better on offense. And I, again, I don't know what they're trying to do. An example of that would be when you had five yards to get a damn touchdown and you throw three straight passes after you had been running the ball somewhat effectively. Now, I don't mind passing by the red zone. It spreads the field out. You know, you're no matter what, probably going to have eight guys in the box and everyone's that much closer to defend a run play. So I understand the inclination to go for a pass. But three in a row with Brandon Peters as your quarterback when he'd been terrible all game, I don't quite understand that. Jeremy mentioned the pass to Barker. That was the one play in that three-play series that made sense, and it just didn't quite work. I would agree with that. But for the other two, I mean, you still got good running backs, and if they find one hole, they're going to get into that end zone the way that they were running at that point. You were not feeding the studs nearly enough. Not nearly enough. Of course, there's the injury to McCray and Chase Brown to consider. I do like that Chase Brown got 14 rushes and two receptions for 54 yards, right? Three, a 33-yarder and a 21-yarder. So that, these are chunk plays for Chase Brown. No surprise. The guy's a star. If you just fed him the damn ball, and he will be there for Purdue, and that gives you a chance. Uh, let's see. 10 for Reggie Love for 30 yards. Again, that's fine. You're, you're splitting the duties, but just feed the studs. 7.5 yards per rush for McCray. 4.1 for Chase Brown, but then the backfield catches as well. I mean, just, just stop getting cute. Feed the studs. Two touches for Isaiah Williams. Two for 47 yards, a 28-yarder and a 19-yarder. Why would you even think to abandon that or not continue to go back to the well? He's the most explosive guy on offense. 
two touches. I don't get it. Tight ends, non-factor. Not a single catch for a tight end. What the hell are we doing? I'm sorry, but Maryland's not going to have a top five defense in the Big Ten. We know that. So you got to do better. Also, this is, um, this is something that Isaac had actually texted me. Virginia, this Virginia team that you scored 14 points and gained less than 400 yards. Yeah, well, they gave up 59 points, and I want to make sure I get this right, 59 points and 700 yards to North Carolina. 59 points and 700 yards to a 2-1 and North Carolina team that lost to Virginia Tech 17-10. to Now, I know that's transitive property stuff, but you can't do better than 14 points at Virginia, and meanwhile, the next week, they give up 59. Are you kidding me? What the hell is it? It's not hard to score in college football. It's not. This game is not designed in a way. It's not played in a way anymore where it's difficult to score, and yet somehow this offense is finding it very difficult to get it in the damn end zone. You have enough to be better than this. This is a coaching problem. And as I'm going up this ladder from Brandon Peters to Tony Peterson, now we land at Brett Bielema. I am sick to my stomach almost at the notion that he hired a stinker already as a coordinator. Sick to my stomach. You know why? I remember the Garrick McGee excitement. He was terrible, obviously. No one liked him. (laughs) Some players left the program because of him. Very few people speak kindly of Garrick McGee after the experience here. And that was Lovey's first offensive coordinator. Now, this is a trend for Lovey Smith. He never hired an offensive coordinator worth a crap, except I guess you could say, really, Ron Turner, right? He was there when they went to the Super Bowl, had a few good years. Mike Martz, I guess, had a couple good years, but he could never find continuity there. Well, my worry now is that Brett Bielema's first offensive coordinator hire may be, in fact, a very bad hire. And this is the guy, Brett Bielema, that I was expecting to bring immediate competence to this program. Again, not excellence. I'm not expecting that. I'm not expecting anything more than five and seven or maybe six and six. And I've said that ad nauseum. Those are my modest expectations. And instead, we have an offense that just cannot produce at a level that you need to in Power 5 football. That's your guy. Tony Peterson. I... Didn't think twice about the journeyman thing. I thought, well, this is a guy that was at Minnesota back in the day. Seems adaptable on offense. And then through four weeks, again, I don't know what we're doing. And I don't really know if Brett Bielema knows what they're doing on offense. You know, Essentially, the only way you're going to win games, the way that this offense is going, is to get another defensive performance like you did on Friday. And can we really count on that? Can we really count on this defense to do the same thing against Maryland or more to the point for the opposing offense to do the same thing that Maryland did, which is to say, not get you by the neck when they could have. I mean, Maryland had moments where they could have gotten that extra score to really change the tide. And for some reason, they just weren't going out there and getting it. Somewhat credit to the defense, but also nature of college football. Just don't beat yourselves. Maryland was beating themselves. Will Purdue do that on Saturday? Perhaps. You know, they had a, I'm guessing, somewhat emotional loss at Notre Dame. That was a game they would have looked forward to. I expect it to be competitive on Saturday. I would be disappointed if it was not competitive. But you just wasted probably the best defensive effort that you're going to get all year against a pretty explosive offense. I mean, that was impressive what Illinois did on, on Friday. You wasted it. And I don't know if you're getting that back. And sadly, I don't see a whole lot of 30-point efforts coming up from this offense. 
I don't know how that's going to happen. Now, they think Brandon Peters is the best option for it. I guess they're going with the tape from Nebraska last year, and the fact that, kind of like Russian roulette, one out of six times, Brandon Peters may actually play a good game. But the numbers would tell you otherwise. This is kind of what it is. So this goes all the way up to the top. It starts with the quarterback that came back when no one was that excited. I mean, I'm sorry. It's just there's something lacking there. There's something that makes it difficult to get on Team Brandon. There's this aloofness, this dryness that I don't know if you can have at the quarterback position unless you are really kick-ass. Kind of like imagine if Jay Cutler was just, you know, not nearly as talented. And people hated Jay Cutler anyways, but the guy was clearly a talented quarterback, and when he wasn't in the lineup, the team suffered. Did Illinois suffer when this quarterback was out? When Arthur, Arthur Sikowski came in and said, not really. So, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm belaboring the point on that. But regardless, it, it's frustrating on a micro and a macro level because now I start to question for the first time, oh my God, is this maybe not going to work with Brett Bielema? Which in and of itself is a hyperbolic statement. We're talking about something four games into a coaching tenure. And they could be three and one. And this is what, this is, what is maddening to me. You know, we as Illini fans have such modest, even low expectations. And if they would have simply met these modest and even low expectations, they very well could be three and one right now based on how their opponents played in each of those games. They could very well be 3-1. and one. They were not going to beat Virginia. That's fine. Okay, away game, all of that. Virginia is a different team at home than they are on the road. That's fair. But they really should be 3-1. and one. And they can't even do that. They can't even go 2-2. Two and two. You beat UTSA, and Friday night does not hurt nearly as bad. Instead, you're 1-3, staring down the barrel of 1-4 and four if you don't win Saturday. And then Charlotte who beat Duke, and then Duke beat Northwestern, what, by three scores? Something like that. Again, it's transitive property, but Charlotte is no slouch. I think you need to win the next two games if you have any chance to win five or six this year. I think you need to win at Purdue, and you need to beat Charlotte. If, if this thing's going to turn in a positive way and not completely slip away from you, you've got to win the next two, not just one. Okay, two and four going into Wisconsin doesn't mean a whole hell of a lot. That's not going to get anyone's juices flowing, and you aren't going to beat Wisconsin. So you need to somehow get to that game three and three and hope that as the schedule unfolds and you get the likes of a Rutgers or I guess a Minnesota and then, of course, Northwestern. But I can tell you one thing, Maryland, sorry, Wisconsin, Penn State, and Iowa, that's, that's off the table. So for the other three games in the back half, Rutgers, Minnesota, Northwestern, you'd have to run the table. And that's if you beat Charlotte and Purdue. That's if. You cannot start off behind the eight ball like this. And then it it, it feeds into so many other things, right? It feeds into this idea that we're never going to change. That Illinois football is what it is. And it doesn't matter what coach you bring in, that inevitably it's going to fail and then that coach is going to go into the you know, island of misfit toys, so to speak, like every previous Illinois football coach, and be damaged goods. You know, is, it the, is it good coaches that come in and they get spit out as bad coaches that no one wants to hire? 
or did we not hire good coaches to begin with? And that's why this felt different with Brett Bielema. But we saw the same level of ineptitude at the end of the game. And that's why this had more of a sour feeling when I woke up Saturday than a UTSA where I could just sort of shun it and say, well, you know, we just have, you know, a bunch of older guys on the team that don't know how to win. It's a culture thing, clearly, right? And then Virginia happens, and that's a total embarrassment. And then this happens where you actually felt for about 55 minutes of game time that we were seeing the positive turn in the Bielema era. To respond like that after the two weeks before would have felt even better the next day. Even if we know that it was a mirage, right? And even if this team would not have won another freaking game the rest of the year, we would have at least seen the blueprint executed to success. The blueprint of run the ball, play good defense, let the other team make mistakes. That would have sat well with, I think, every Illini fan. But instead, as I wake up Saturday morning, we're walking the dog on a beautiful Saturday morning. And my mind is more on the the gigs that we had that night. But I thought, you know how nice it would have been to wake up, take this walk with the dog, and think about a 2-0 team in the Big Ten? 2-0 for the first time since 2011. Can't even do that. You know, if you aren't pissed off, you might actually find the hilarity in the fact that Illinois football has been this bad for this long. And I'd be lying if I said I wasn't invested at all. Clearly, I am because I'm coming on this podcast and this extended diatribe about (laughs) what we saw, right? So clearly, I care to a degree. But I will say this. I have no interest going into the actual stadium to see this team play. Not right now. And, and maybe that's, again, being a prisoner of the moment and, and seeing how Friday's game unfolded. But this is just not a team worth investing that level of energy in. Investing energy to go and drink in Lot 31 with friends and have a good time? Hey, I'm game for that. Lante, you can relate. But Lon actually goes into the games, credit for him. I went to the UTSA game, and that might be the only one I actually go into. I don't really care to go in. I don't have an emotional connection or investment in this team right now. Uh, beyond the fact that I'm just annoyed. Uh, you know what? That's, that's what it is. I'm more annoyed than anything. Just get it done. I don't care how. I mean, for the love of God, as I've said many times, and I think every Elon I fan would agree, we aren't asking for much. We really aren't. Just give us something. And they did. And then they found the most creative and just like ass-backwards way to lose that game against Maryland that you can't help but find a little bit of humor in it. And I think the defense mechanism as a fan is to say, well, whatever. But I would much prefer to be saying, hey, Illinois won. I mean, I was talking to my buddy Phil who plays bass and saying, man, I mean, this would be a good win for Illinois. He was like, yeah, like I'm, I'm enjoying watching this, right? I mean, I think we all, as crazy as that game was, enjoyed it for the most part until we didn't. And man, when we didn't enjoy it, it all came coming back. Right, Every disappointment is an Illini football fan. Now, the joke goes that, oh, it's almost basketball season. And that's our bread and butter. You guys know that from last year. Our bread and butter is basketball season. I care so much about that. And the meatball fan comes out when basketball tips off. But I would love to be that meatball fan for an extra three months a year. I would love to have that extra juice when we're in the tailgate lots and not just be there for the party and hanging out with friends, which is great. But why can't we double that up with genuine excitement for what we're going to go in and see as opposed to complete apathy? You know, before the game, Grange Grove was popping a little bit, but you could tell that for a Friday night game on an absolutely gorgeous night against a Big Ten team, and 
you know, by most accounts, a winnable game, right? In most years, it should have been considered a winnable game. That it wasn't really popping like it probably should have been. And that's a shame because, man, we had the foundation in place in terms of the fan base and the environment around the stadium. We had the foundation in place for that to be a pretty cool, consistently cool experience. And instead, (laughs) we drive people away. We drive fans like myself away from even wanting to bother going in the stadium. And if I'm not going to bother going in the stadium, the guy that does these, you know, 40, 45 minute solo podcasts just talking about Illini sports, if I'm not going to bother, what is the casual fan going to bother with? There were friends that I saw up at the brewery on Saturday where we gigged that are Illinois fans and Illinois graduates. And one of them said, he's like, I honestly forgot they were playing Friday. And he's like, and I woke up and I was like, what time is Illinois playing today? And my dad said, oh, they lost last night. This is not someone that is like an apathetic Illinois fan. This is someone that literally did not know or care enough, I should say, that they were playing on a Friday. Think of average Joe in Champaign-Urbana that could bring the family out, you know, four pack of tickets, 99 bucks. As someone so quipped on Facebook, are you guys paying us 99 bucks to come to the game or, or what is it? They are not going to bother, and I hate that. Man, I, I, I wish that this were a somewhat hot ticket. As much as I joke about enjoying all the leg room and the fact that I can go to the bathroom or go to the concession stand and never have to wait in line because there's like 25,000 people in that stadium, well, sadly, that's how it's going to be for the foreseeable future. And every single one of these losses is another paper cut. How many can Illini fans take before they just give up? Or... How many can they take before it takes an absolutely Herculean comeback story from Brett Bielema or whoever the coach may be to get this fan base back? I think ultimately, here's the good news. If you simply win a few games, people will be interested again. And if you simply make a bowl game and couple that with some recruiting classes, then you'll get back to the 45 or maybe 50,000 people in the stadium. Might be a while before you get to sell out, but... The interest, I, I think it's bubbling there under the surface. But man, we do everything, everything to throw sand on this fire and just put it out. And uh, it'd be funny if it weren't kind of depressing, you know. So I wish I could give you guys better news today or, or try to find the silver linings. But the fact is they choked that game away on Saturday. And F, all the bad endings I've seen in Illinois football games, uh, this one was particularly memorable. And I, I guess the optimistic viewpoint would be that this could be rock bottom. But looking at the roster next year and looking at the fact that you probably don't have an offensive coordinator that you can trust a whole lot, and now the cracks are starting to show even from a coaching perspective, the honeymoon's over, kids. The honeymoon's over. And you know me, man. I was... Pro Bielema all the way. I still think that he is very capable of getting this done, but for the first time, I have a seed of doubt. Damn it. I wish I didn't, but I do. All right, well, on that particularly depressing note, (laughs) it is what it is, Alani fans. I I guess that's it. Terp derp. It's just the most silly, stupid ending to a game imaginable. So, Illinois, uh, you know, this is part of our culture, Right, This is who we are as Illini football fans, and 
eventually, though, the self-deprecating humor becomes exhausting in and of itself. You know, if you say I'm an Illini football fan, then other people essentially just say, I'm sorry. And you're like, yeah, I get it. Meanwhile, my wife, for example, Michigan State alum, Mel Tucker's there. They were predicted to be towards the bottom of the Big Ten this year. They're kicking ass right now, 3-0. Are they ranked, getting votes, big win at Miami? They're good, just like that. And think about the mess that Mark D'Antonio left them. I'm sure that Mel Tucker is succeeding with the remnants of the D'Antonio thing. I'm sure that's part of it, but that thing was kind of a dumpster fire, for lack of a better cliche, when Mark D'Antonio left. And here they are. No big deal. Mel Tucker, a guy that, you know, they didn't know who, who else to get, frankly. They threw Mel Tucker a bunch of money after he had one or two decent seasons, and we're all looking at each other thinking, well, is this really going to work? Apparently it is. Go figure. What I would give for just that kind of program, you know, just give me a Michigan State, which give, give me a, any program in the Big Ten not named Rutgers, I would take. I mean, that's where you're at. You're basically there. All right. Uh, the 200 level brought to you by DP Doe. You might need a calzone to wash the, the taste out of your mouth from this negative Nancy podcast, admittedly so. Uh, DP Doe, online at dpdoe.com. They deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. That's dpdoe.com. Fourth and Kirby online at fourthandkirby.com. For all your vintage-inspired Illini apparel, go to fourthandkirby.com. Rector Construction online at rectorconstruction.com. For all your home exterior needs, give them a call today or visit online at rectorconstruction.com for a free estimate. And finally, State Farm Agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. For all your insurance needs, great customer service, and great State Farm prices to boot, that is brianismyguy.com. For the Champagne Showers Podcast Network and Alani Inquirer, got to thank those guys and, of course, you, the listeners, for sticking around. Sorry for the delay. Had to get through those concerts this weekend and let this game simmer. And uh, oddly enough, I'm a little bit more pissed off today than I was on Friday evening. Um, We may be back before the Purdue game. We may do a live pod reaction on Saturday. We'll wait and see, but I'll keep you guys posted on what's coming next. But we'll have plenty more to talk about, and I hope to God something positive for Illini football. I guess we'll see. Hey, in the meantime, stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll see you soon. It is the 200 level.